0: Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Ask Dr. Jessica podcast. I'm your pediatrician and host, Dr. Jessica Hockman. On today's podcast, I am fortunate because as my guest, I have Dr. Leika Rao. Dr. Rao is a pediatric neurologist and she also completed specialty training in seizures, known as being an epileptologist. So on this episode, we talk about childhood seizures. They're fairly common and they are frightening for parents to watch. So Dr. Rao gives a great overview on what parents can look for and what to do in the event of a seizure. If you are enjoying this podcast, please take a moment to leave a five-star review. It truly makes my day. Hi, welcome to another episode of Ask Dr. Jessica. This week, we have my friend, Lekha Rao. She is a pediatric neurologist and epileptologist. She works at UCLA. I'm thrilled to have her here today. I wanted to talk to you all about seizures and epilepsy. I think a lot of parents worry about what a seizure is, if their children are actually having a seizure, if they're at risk for seizures. And I know there's a lot of confusion and mystery about what they actually are. So I thought we could start off by actually defining what, what is a seizure exactly?
1: Yeah, so thanks so much for having me here. I, I you know always welcome the opportunity to raise awareness about the, these conditions um, and what I specialize in. So to start out seizures, you know, there's a, there's the medical definition and then there's sort of a practical definition. So seizures are any sort of paroxysmal, um, you know, electrographic change in the brain. We all have kind of normal frequencies that our our brain waves go at and imagine seizures are kind of like sparks in the brain that get together. And if there's enough of them, um, that develop kind of a rhythm to them, then that's what a seizure is. So I tell kids, it's kind of like our brain is a computer and for a little while, it's short circuits, and you know, that little rainbow spiral shows up, and you kind of go offline, and then you have to come back online again. Um, and seizures are actually really, really common. Um, they're more common than people realize. About one in 10 people will have a seizure in their lifetime. Um, so not to be foreboding, but you know, when I give these lectures to medical students, residents, I kind of say, well, look around the room. One of you, maybe two of you, maybe more, depending on how many people are in the audience, has either had a seizure already or
0: will go on to have a seizure. And when you talk about the one in 10 that get a seizure,
1: is there a certain age group that is more likely to have a seizure? Yes, so actually the majority of seizures happen in children. So something like 70 to 80% actually help happen in children less than 15.
0: And just to define some terminology, I know you are an epileptologist, so that means you trained as a pediatric neurologist and then did further training to become specialized in epilepsy. That term gets used a lot, and I just want to make sure the audience understands, what exactly is epilepsy?
1: Yeah, so I think um, you're right. There is a lot of confusion sometimes, you know, what is seizure? What is epilepsy? How do the two interface? And a seizure is really just what I mentioned. It's that kind of electrical takeover of the brain that has a start and a stop, and it's just a one-time thing, Um, versus epilepsy means that you have a risk of further seizures, so they, they recently kind of redefined what is the definition of epilepsy. So it used to be one or more unprovoked seizures. Um, however, they realized sometimes you can have one seizure that's recognized, and then it's actually a sign of having other seizures. Or if you have an EEG that shows that you have this fingerprint that you're at risk for, that you have it, sorry, that you have an epilepsy syndrome, then just with that one seizure, you can be diagnosed. So that's why now they've changed it. It's two or more, or if you have one seizure plus, you have either an EEG or something that means that you have an epilepsy syndrome. And can you briefly explain what an EEG is? Yeah, so an EEG is an electroencephalogram. So, um, so it involves, <laughs> yeah, it's good to know because sometimes it's called EKG or ECG and that's different. That's the heart. Um, So the electroencephalogram is a measurement of those brain waves that we talked about. Um, We all have kind of natural resting frequencies in different parts of our brain. And so most of the time, it's just a, you know, 30 minute from start to stop, including the electrode application and taking it off. It takes about an hour. That's sort of what we call the routine EEG, where they place 22 electrodes, 11 if you're a, a neonate, but 22 electrodes over the brain with some paste. They have you kind of, you know, keep your eyes open, keep your eyes closed, flashlights, breathe heavily, and maybe even fall asleep. And those things all give us information about what's going on in the brain. So sometimes you have a single seizure, then you have an EEG, which is only a snapshot in time. But if your brain is showing signs of irritability, so meaning that there's little pops of electrical activity, that's like a fingerprint. And so that kind of can tell us even if you're not having a seizure at that moment in time, that your brain is sort of firing away and at risk for having more seizures. And there's certain signature patterns that we look at for different kinds of epilepsy syndromes. So from that, we could tell you, let's say there's a fingerprint pattern there that shows that you're likely having absent seizures. You have, you know, a 90% chance of going on to having another seizure in the next year, 90 to 100, actually. Um, Or you can show little spikes in one area of the brain. That means that maybe that area is prone to having focal seizures. And so you also have a high risk, like 70% chance of having a seizure in the next year. Now, you mentioned, uh,
0: you briefly mentioned different types of seizures. I heard you mention absence seizures, focal seizures. When you talk about seizures, what can parents expect a seizure will look like? Can you describe what parents should be looking for and what a seizure manifests like?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think everyone always thinks of the what I call the Hollywood seizure, which is the generalized tonic-clonic, and that's where the whole body stiffens up, usually the eyes roll back, you know, they fall to the ground, they have stiffening of the whole body and, and rhythmic jerking of the extremities. They can often have foaming or drooling of the mouth, um, can lose urine continence, um, you know, and it lasts maybe a minute or two. It'll feel like forever because that's very, very scary um, for anybody to watch. Um, but most seizures do stop on their own within a minute or two because the brain has a natural kind of shutdown mechanism when there's too much activity going on. So that's what most people think of when they think of seizures. Um, but there are other types. So we, we talked about the absence, and those are the staring spells. They used to be known as petite mal seizures, um, which in French um, translates to little bad, um, as opposed to grand mal, which is the generalized hanaquonics, which is very bad. So, um, but these are little pauses. So like if I did this, that could be an absence seizure and that could be really, really hard to diagnose.
0: And for those of you listening, what Dr. Rao is doing right now, she's blinking her eyes.
1: Yeah. And that could be, that could be all that, you know, your child does. Um, but I often say parents just know Um, what's different um, from just a kid kind of zoning out versus them sort of shutting down or going offline. You tap them, blow on their face. There's no reaction. It lasts like 10 to 30 seconds. That's more than just a kid zoning out. And then they come back and they just go back to what they were doing before. As opposed to if they're zoning out and you call their name, they kind of say, what? I was just thinking about something. And they know exactly where they were in that time. Kids with absence seizures, their their brain is literally going offline for ten to thirty seconds and then coming back on. So they'll they'll kind of just go throughout their day, and oftentimes they're sort of mistaken for inattentive attention deficit disorder, or you know, like I mentioned, staring spells. So they could be hard to to pick up on.
0: If we could go into some details of the most common types of seizures, just so parents can know what to identify, um, I'd love to ask you first about the absence seizures you were just describing where they have those staring spells. What is the prognosis like? Will children be like this forever? Will they need a medication? Do they outgrow it?
1: Yeah. So those are all good questions that I often get asked um, with about children with absence seizures. So the vast majority will start between the ages of six and eight, but sometimes it is on the younger side. So as young as two, um, you know, as old as 10 to 12, um, you know, if it's on the younger side, then, you know, there tends to be more of a likelihood that the, your epilepsy will what we call resolve in puberty. We no longer say outgrow. Um, it resolves in puberty. Um, there's certain markers that we look for on the EEG as well. If you're a little bit older on the onset, it's a little bit less likely that they'll resolve in puberty. However, not impossible. And there is a certain percentage that will continue to have them lifelong. How about
0: febrile seizures, uh, those seizures that happen when children also have a corresponding fever, that that comes up quite a bit in my practice. Can you touch on febrile seizures?
1: Yeah, febrile seizures are fairly common. And even though we don't hear about them so often, um, they are kind of one of those things that we learn about in general pediatrics, because it doesn't always require an epileptologist. Um, and these happen between six months and six years. They're in normally developing children, um, you know they can be generalized tonic-clonic. They can have focal features, meaning involving only one part of the body. You could have one within, you know, one illness, or you could have multiple within a 24-hour period, and that's how we differentiate between their simple or complex. Also by length. This sounds terrible. We talked about seizures stopping within a minute or two. Sometimes febrile seizures can go on 15, 30 minutes, um, and. You know, surprisingly, a lot of those kids end up being okay. Um, and with febrile seizures, we do consider that something that resolves that after, you know, five to six years of age. There's a small percentage that maybe they have an underlying susceptibility to seizures. So it wasn't truly febrile seizures, they were seizure with fever. Or there's certain ones that may have a genetic condition, they go on to have seizures without fever or afebrile seizures. So overall, if you have simple febrile seizures, your risk of epilepsy is not that different from the general population. So, the general population, the risk is about 1.3 to 1.5 percent, and it's about the same for simple febrile seizures. For complex febrile seizures, it's maybe the difference between 1.3 to 1.5 percent versus 1.4 to 1.6 percent. So, it's a tiny little increase compared to the general population.
0: That's good to hear. So, parents can feel rest assured that if their children do, in fact, have a seizure along with a fever, that the odds of going on to having epilepsy or, you know, many seizures in the future is the same as it would be with the general population.
1: Correct. Unless they have some sort of atypical feature, underlying MRI, or they have an abnormal EEG, then that, that risk shifts.
0: Okay. I think that's good to hear because so many parents, when their children have a seizure, Um, They're understandably nervous for future fevers that their children get. And they're trying so hard to make sure their children never get fevers, which is which is, of course, impossible in my view. So I think that's good to hear that that they're going to likely go on to be okay.
1: Right. And I think, um, you know, I get asked this a lot. How are we going to prevent this? And I say, well, you know, you can't prevent every illness. You wash your hands. You get your vaccines, especially your seasonal ones. Um, and that's how best you're going to protect yourself and treating the fever doesn't necessarily treat or prevent seizures. So it's good to, um, you know, to just make your child feel supported. Not every viral illness will cause a seizure and just to know what to do if your child has one.
0: So what do you, what do you advise to parents that are so nervous? They're constantly giving their kids Tylenol just to make sure they never get a, a fever for fear of seizures. Does this make a difference?
1: It does not, and I've I've encountered parents who, you know, they're taking daily temperatures, sometimes several times a day, you know, giving Tylenol. But there are downsides to giving too much Tylenol, especially if your child doesn't need it. So, preventing that 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 um, temperature doesn't prevent the seizure. Um, and not only that, sometimes the seizure is actually the first sign of illness because the fever. Um, oftentimes, a seizure happens on the rise of the fever, so it's actually. You don't even realize that they have a fever until they have their seizure. So checking temperatures, giving prophylactic Tylenol, Motrin, that's not going to make any difference.
0: What I find interesting with seizures is whenever you ask parents about how long they were, don't they say that it's generally overestimated by, you know, by multiples?
1: Yeah, I often tell parents it'll feel like forever. And I can imagine, you know, one of my colleagues, his son has febrile seizures, and he also said he thought his child was dying in front of him, even though he's an epileptologist and knew exactly what he was dealing with. Um, So it'll feel like forever, but most seizures do stop on their own within a minute or two. And it it is oftentimes, it's not until your child has their first febrile seizure that then all of a sudden grandma and grandpa say, well, so-and-so had febrile seizures, so-and-so had febrile seizures, and you actually find out that there's lots of other family members who've had them. Now, when
0: you mentioned those tonic-clonic seizures, the Hollywood type of seizure, at what point should a parent call 911? When is it an emergency?
1: Yeah, good question. So, um, so if you're approaching that three-minute mark, and it looks like there's no sign of the seizure you know, stopping, um, what I always kind of go over with parents is seizure first aid. So you want to put them on their side, nothing in the mouth um, no rescue breaths because oftentimes they're drooling or they may vomit. And if you give a rescue breath, that'll send all of that back into their lungs. And that in and of themselves can cause big problems. So no rescue breaths, nothing in the mouth because the force of the body clenching down and the force of the jaw. If you try to put something in their mouth, you could get hurt. You could break their teeth. So definitely nothing in the mouth. Then it sounds I've terrible.
0: Of... Mm-hmm. Oh, I've heard of people putting belts in the
1: mouth to make sure that they don't bite their tongue. Is that useful? That's all kind of myth. Um, so nothing in the mouth at all, because it can risk a lot of dental injury and injury to, um, to the person who's trying to put something in their mouth because of that force of contraction. Um, and then it it sounds awful when you're watching your child seizing like this, but you keep an eye on the time because it is true that it will feel like forever, but most of the time it does stop within a minute or two. If you're approaching that three minute mark, you're never wrong in calling nine one one. If by the time the paramedics come, the seizure is over and you know they just need to rest, let's say they have a fever and they're sick, you're actually okay with watching them at home. If this is their first-time seizure, it's understandable to go to the ER. Um, You may just want to get them checked out, make sure that they've stopped seizing. Um, but if, you know, they're going on longer than five minutes and they have a history of having seizures longer than five, longer than five minutes, then we do res- recommend having a rescue medication at home. And that's something like rectal diazepam or um, nasal diazepam or nasal midazolam to help stop the seizure if it goes on more than five minutes.
0: Okay. And just to clear up a myth that I hear, do seizures cause brain damage?
1: So it, it's a good question really when we we talk about generalized tonic-clonic seizures, we're talking about that sort of that five-minute mark because that's when your brain's fail-safe mechanism to stop the seizure, it stops working as well. But really, all the things that you see happening in the midst of the seizure, like for instance, what can look really scary is that, um, you know, the lips can turn blue, fingers can turn blue, and that's because you're constricting everything down um, in the body, you're actually sending a lot of blood to the brain. So one of the myths that I hear is that they need oxygen, for example. Um, And we even do that in the hospital just because if you have an oxygen saturation monitor on you, if it's on your finger, it's going to appear low. But that's because there's so much blood being sent to your brain that it's going to look low on the outside, kind of the outskirts of your body, but it's really high in your brain. So you can actually keep up that cerebral oxygenation for 30 minutes. So this sounds really, really awful, but we worry about seizures when they go on longer than 30 minutes.
0: Wow. That is so interesting. So turning blue isn't a worrisome sign with a seizure.
1: It's actually fairly common to turn blue or have sort of dusky lips, things like that. Um, And it does not mean that your brain isn't getting enough oxygen. It actually means that your brain is sending is getting more oxygen
0: Wow okay fascinating so so just to review for seizure first aid if you're witnessing a seizure turn uh, the child or the the patient on their side put nothing in their mouth and count for three minutes until you call 911
1: yeah, and if this is their, um, if they have a known history of seizures, and you know that once they come out of their seizure, they're going to be out of it, confused, sleepy for you know fifteen minutes, three hours, four hours, it's actually okay to not call nine one one if the seizure stops on their own. It's more if it's your first time, then it's understandable. But if you know their pattern, or if you know that you know they stop by the time you know the paramedics come, then you're fine just watching them at home. Sometimes I also tell
0: parents to make sure to clear the area around the seizure. So I know this sounds like a like a simple piece of advice, but I'll make sure they're not they're not near something where they could hit their head or, you know, be by a body of water like a pool, just to make sure that they're in a safe
1: environment. Exactly. Just keep them somewhere safe and comfortable, and then sounds horrible, but keep an eye on the time. Okay, this
0: is great. This is such helpful information, Lika.
1: Yeah, I'm glad it's helpful. <laughs> Now, another
0: question I get a lot from parents with young children, um, oftentimes kids will have movements that may look like seizures that are not seizures. Is there any advice you can offer to parents in this situation? Um, I know they call it uh, shuddering spells. Can you help parents recognize what is a normal baby movement and when it is a cause to talk to a neurologist?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question because, um, you know, it's hard. I kind of explained that between six months to about 15 months, babies just do funny things. And so this is because that first part of your life, your brain is kind of coming online and it's slowly becoming aware of your body. And so sometimes babies learn some new movement and they realize, oh, I can get my environment to change if I do this, or I can, I feel my face clenching if I do this. Or I can stiffen up my whole body when I get excited. And they'll do this over and over again, and sometimes in clusters. Um, And so it can be very, very scary if you then type in Google. It's kind of like if, you know, the joke in the medical community, you type in anything into Google and cancer pops up um, with (laughs) movements in babies, what always pops up is seizure, And for the vast majority of time, it's actually not a seizure. Um, And there's certain things that you can do to kind of tell them apart. So, one is if it always happens in a certain circumstance, like it's always in the high chair, it's always when they're eating, um, it's, you know, you notice that they have these movements, a tooth pops out and then they go away, Um, you know, or you make the movement at them and they mimic it back, then you know that they're doing it on purpose. So sometimes my explanation is babies do funny things, you know, they have a tooth coming in. And so they think that the thing to do is go like this, or you and I, when we have heartburn, we kind of rub our, our chest and Ooh, that really hurt. But babies don't have that awareness. So they may shrug their shoulders or they may appear startled or scared and, and throw themselves back. And so a lot of those things can look really concerning to parents, but it, again, if it's only happening in certain circumstances, they're able to, to replicate it, or you kind of can hold them and they stop, then it's unlikely to be a seizure. Such good information. Thank you.
0: Now, question for you. So for any parents out there whose children do have a diagnosis of epilepsy, are there any words of wisdom that you can offer these parents? Can their children go on to have normal lives? Should they be worried or how
1: should they think about this? Yeah, so I think there's a there's a large spectrum to epilepsy. And so I often get asked, you know, where does my child fall on the spectrum? Is it mild, is it moderate, it is it severe? And I'd say, well, for any type of epilepsy, this is a huge change for you, for your family. You know, I always tell parents that I'm not going to tell you not to worry because that's your job as a parent. You're going to worry. And so parents of children with epilepsy, they worry even more. I mean, even the simplest thing, like going to the grocery store, are they going to have a seizure in front of other people? Can I go swimming? What if they have a seizure underwater? So these are all things that are just part of our daily lives. We don't think about, but parents of children with epilepsy, they constantly have to think about. So, you know, I say maintain normalcy as much as possible. You know, um, make sure you're taking, you're giving their medicine or they're taking their medicine um, regularly. If your seizures are not controlled and you're not seeing an epilepsy specialist, maybe it's worth consulting with an epilepsy specialist. Um, And then the other thing is that you want to get seizures under control as much as possible because there is kind of growing awareness of this condition called sudden unexplained death in epilepsy patients or SUDEP. And a lot of this came to attention because of the Disney star Cameron Boyce, um, who unfortunately recently passed away. And having uncontrolled generalized tonic-clonic seizures increases your risk on a yearly basis. It's cumulative. Um, the more seizures that you have, the more your risk increases. And so it's good to be aware of these things, not to scare people, but just to know that, you know, this could happen and getting seizures under control are the, are the biggest priority. And
0: in your experience, are the medications that we can offer patients to control seizures, do they work
1: well? There's a lot of different medications out there, even from you know way back when when I was a medical student, we only had a handful. Now we have you know 30 or more and they're different for each type of epilepsy, each type of seizure. Some of them are very, you know benign. You could accidentally take a whole bottle and you'll just sleep it off and wake up the next morning. Um, then you can have others where you know you need to get lab work checked. Um, but ultimately there's always going to be a weighing of risk and benefit. Um, between, you know, the physician, between parents, between the child, and, um, you know, getting the seizures under control are often kind of outweigh any of the risks of the medications. And do you feel like in your experience, when you
0: see children who have seizures, in general, do you feel like the prognosis is good that they get better that you can make a difference?
1: That's kind of why I went into the field that I went into because there is such a large spectrum. Um, you know, it comes from the the kids that I kind of diagnose when they're six, and then their epilepsy resolves when they're fifteen, and I dismiss them from my practice, and I say, you know, I hope I don't see you again unless I run into you at the park or the grocery store. Then please say hi. Um, and then it also runs a spectrum of of kids who've had seizures since they were born, and you know. They're having dozens a day, and we're working on things like surgical, um, you know, treatments, um, drug treatments, um, trying to get their seizures under control as best as possible, so they can have the best quality of life.
0: It's great. Sounds like there's a lot, a lot that we can offer these patients, which is wonderful.
1: Yeah, there's a lot I more have to- medicines out there.
0: I have to say, I feel really lucky because whenever I have patients that have seizures, I love that I can send them to you because I know that they are in the best of hands. So I truly mean that. So thank you so much, Leika, for all you do.
1: Oh, thank you. Thank you, Jessica, for having me too. Thank, thank
0: you for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I would be so grateful if you would take a moment to leave a five-star review. Also, if you are enjoying this podcast, I would be so appreciative if you could think of one person to send it to your support is truly what helps this podcast grow.